G'day everybody, welcome along. It is episode four of the Motor Focus Model Podcast. I'm Aaron Noonan. Joining me on the phone is my co-host of the most, Dimitri Camino from Motor Focus in Queensland. Uh, Dim, hello, welcome back. We've made it to EP4, look at us go. Yeah, we're flying along now and um, been another busy fortnight in the shop for us and uh, with the addition of uh, Formula One back on TV as well, so been a pretty cool uh, fortnight. It's been good if you have been a Mercedes fan, if you vary for anyone other than Mercedes, uh, I think you've got a season of pain that is going to be coming in. It is a good scrap for the miners in Formula One, but it is all about the Mercs at the front. Hey, let's rip in uh, to what has just arrived in the shop uh, at Motor Focus in Queensland. And uh, Oz Legends, one, now 132 scale is a little bit different to the norm of what a lot of people collect, but uh, they've got a range of Aussie muscle cars and there's been a change in the tooling. Uh, it's now owned and sold by a, a different organisation. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so Oz Legends have been around for a while and uh, they were developed by Cheaper Toys based in Sydney. Uh, recently, uh, it's changed hands to Diecast Distributors Australia. Uh, he bought all the moulds and um, he's now going to distribute these these models. Um, it is a bit of a different scale, 132nd. Um, but, you know, what I like about it is they have a bit of a diverse range that... Um, is really good to fill a few gaps in, in, in our collections and on our shelves. Uh, so they've got things like your popular EH Holdens, Ford, XC Cobras, Hardtops, Piranhas, but we've sort of added to our collection uh, things like Ford, XB, GS, Hardtops, XA and XB Utes and panel vans. So they're a little bit different. And um, retail is fifty nine ninety nine for these little guys and... Um, even less if you uh, join our club. Ah, yes, join the Motor Focus Club and score yourself a discount on all sorts of bits and pieces. Uh, head to the website, motorfocus.com.au. Uh, some new announcements in the last fortnight since our last episode of the pod, Dimit. Uh, classic collectibles. This is one that I know that uh, my father-in-law's a massive fan of anything golden fleece, and there's a, a Holden EH Ute uh, with the yellow golden fleece livery. That will get plenty of attention. Yeah, so this is following on from their, from Classic's first EH Ute they released with the um, GMH parts. So this one, as you say, is in the vibrant yellow with the Golden Fleece logos on the doors. Um, die-cast metal, all opening parts. Uh, it's got a re- removable tonneau cover, which is pretty cool. And um, we're going to see a lot of interest in this one. So definitely worth a pre-order on that. Uh, another one in a little bit of a Holden theme, uh, Diecast Distributors Australia with their uh, HQ Monaro handful in the Castrol commercial livery. Now, this is a car that uh, if you're into your drags and your burnout comp stuff, uh, you'll know all about it. If you're more of a circuit racer, you'll probably have no idea what we're talking about, but this is something that's pretty cool and a, a different scale as well. Yeah, so handful is a... Uh, uh a guy in Brisbane owns this beast. It's a HQ Monaro in in the purple with the white um, stripes. So it's been rolling around for a fair while and uh, Diecast Distributors Australia produced a model of it in 124 scale not too long ago. Um, it's got sort of a big blowing engine hanging out the bonnet, got mag wheels, all that sort of jazz. Uh, yeah, so it's often is seen at drags, power cruise events, things like that. So uh, Super Cheap Oils uh, did an ad called Octane Island and Handful was was uh, part of that 
and it was wrapped in green with the Castrol logos down the side and the roof. So it's it's the first variation they're doing of this little model. So it's one to um, you know have a look at as well. Uh, we've talked Holdens. Let's talk Fords. Of course, the Ford Mustang GT Tickford enhanced Alan Moffat tribute car based on the uh, the '69 Moffat Coca Cola Mustang, that famous race car that really launched Alan Moffat on the scene in Australia, and uh, the road going version that was made in in recent times with Tickford. Uh, that's being produced as a a model as well. Yeah, correct. GT uh, Spirit is the maker of uh, this particular Mustang. Um, they've done for a while in left-hand drive, but now they're going to produce this one in right-hand drive, especially for our Australian market. So, you know, all the really cool retro features that that are that are on on the car, like the, the mini light wheels, but you know, the front spoiler, the rear wing, and that distinct coat. Mustang livery uh, is all on there, and it's going to be a low-run production model, so definitely worth a pre-order on that one. Um, and it's just a pretty-looking car. I remember seeing it at Bathurst last year. They had one on show, and I was kind of looking around for, I think it was about $160,000 in my pocket, but <laughs> couldn't quite come up with it, so I just had to take a photo and walk on. Uh, this is a slightly cheaper way to get your uh, version of the uh, Ford Mustang GT Tickford Enhanced Alan yeah. Moffat Tribute Car. And the other thing is, too, that's uh, something we wanted to discuss. It's one thing to have Alan Moffat's race cars in your model collection, but now uh, Acme Models are making an Alan Moffat figurine so you can have the man himself to go with the car. I love uh, things like this, you know, those little add-ons and around your collection. So, yeah, they're going to craft a little replica Alan Moffat uh, in his period-correct race suit and helmet, uh, and it goes perfect with that 1969 uh, Coke Mustang. So uh, available for pre-order at the moment. It is 118 scale, so it's just a really cool little addition that um, collectors can uh, keep an eye out for. Yeah, I love these little add-ons where uh, collecting the cars is obviously the big priority and the big focus, but whether it's the, the figurines, the trophies, the uh, newspaper celebration headlines that have been featured on podiums, uh, all these little elements do add to collections. I know there's some collectors who are a bit more into it than others, but it's a, a cool element of the history of our sport. So there's some great new announcements and some uh, uh, things to look forward to in upcoming months in the model-making industry. But would you believe it? We have, Dim, our first guest. It's taken till episode four to get him. He's a very busy man, uh, but he's given us uh, the grace of his time this week. It's great to have him with us, uh, the GM of Bianti Model Cars. Richard Paul, welcome to the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Hi, Noon. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us. And we've got a link, uh, a, well, a long list of questions that our listeners have come up with in the last fortnight. We'll Go easy on you, and we'll uh, we'll save them up. But uh, at at the core of it, I guess, Rich, uh, for everybody involved in this industry, uh, everyone's an enthusiast at heart. Whether it's your your job and your profession, or it's your passion, how did you get to be in a position that you ended up working in the model car industry? I wanted to take it a, a step back and go back to where this whole passion for you started, because for all of us, it starts somewhere. Where did it start for you? I've sort of always been a collector of something, matchbox cars, footy cards, all that sort of stuff. Um, but cars have always been around. Originally from Tassie, my father um, ran, he was a promoter of Latrobe Speedway just out of Devonport, so it wasn't unusual to come home and have 
spring cows on trailers in the front yard, someone <laughs> changing them over or something. And um, like I bought my first uh, 118th Skycar um, after a trip back to Tassie, went for a ride in family friend's Ferrari F40 and came back over and knew of a little model shop in, in the city here in Perth and went in and grabbed a Burago F40. That would have been February 92 and purchased, purchased it off um, Trevor of Bianti fame. Ah, Trevor Young. And, um, yeah, yeah, and just grew from there. Um, customer at Triking with, with a shop that Trevor and Bev were part owners in. And um, he started, I remember I went to the shop and he was telling my brother and I about this new model that had come in and you got a pre-order, I can't tell you anything about it. And my brother put the order in, I didn't. And um, it was the Track Red XY. <laughs> so right back at the start, and I wish I'd ordered one of those at the time. Yes. But I didn't. Um, but, and it just grew from there. I finished school, got an apprenticeship, electrician, and um, Trevor and Bev only worked in the store on Friday nights. So I was full-time being during the week, but they did Friday night, late night shopping in the city. So I'd work during the week and go in and pick up my models and just got to know Trevor and Bev really well through the shop. I was on the forum. All those mad forum guys that um, have migrated across the Facebook now, it appears. <laughs> and um, just got to know them really well and went in one night and um, Trevor said, would you like a job? Um, the guy who was running the website at the time was leaving and um, they needed someone, someone that knew how to work a computer and um, knew the model. And um, after a few discussions back and forward, I said no the first time, but Trev kept persisting and in the end took the job and started running the um, the retail website. It's a, it's a really common thing, isn't it, Richard, where there's no grand plan. It just kind of evolves and develops and one little opportunity opens the door to the next one and the next one and the next one. And before you know it, you're, you're entrenched in the industry without even probably trying. Oh, definitely. It's really spooky when you talk about like how Trev and Bev and myself, uh, when we moved over from Tassie, um, mum and dad built a house with Webb and Brown Meads and they built the Maxi 5, which at the time Trev and Bev were part owners of um, Web and Brown Needs and Trevor designed the house that my parents built <laughs> and then that went through and in the end um, yeah, right through to I was uh, Paul Bear at Trevor's funeral so it's, yeah, revolving doors and how things link up I think it was probably definitely that we got to know each other but um, yeah after running the website Trevor was flat out and the ante was going up to start it in March of 01. And um, like that year, supercars were crazy, everything, the real boom had hit. And Trevor was getting increasingly busy with research, licensing, and basically all the heavy lifting stuff of the business. And I stuck my hand up and said, Can I help with some research? So the first car that I was involved with was Gossie's 73 Bathurst pole car. Uh-huh, yep, yep. And gradually, from then, Trevor would hand on a little bit more research and development stuff, and I moved away from the website and ended up literally working across opposite sides of the same desk with Trev. Um, he unfortunately um, developed cancer, so he handed all of the research over. And in the end, um, yeah, I was handing all licensing, all research, and then, yeah, unfortunately, said Trevor passed away, and they've sold the business, and um, I was. GM for a little while, and the new owners moving in another direction. So we parted ways and I started Apex Replicas. 
and that's where a lot of our listeners will uh, probably know your name a little bit more because that was yeah. your uh, your business and uh, very different when you go from working in a business to on a business that uh, yeah. the buck stops with you and you sign the checks and make the sandwiches. So uh, Apex obviously um, has been rolled back into uh, through Bianti with Downey's Collectibles, who who now own Bianti Model Cars. Yeah. Uh, why did you end up deciding to to sell? In in very simple terms, I guess there's um, probably a million reasons, but uh, why not keep forging on with your your own little thing where you controlled the destiny? Yeah, it sort of made sense when Downey's, like the previous owners of Bianti, were a listed company, and they didn't really understand the collector side of things. It was a business, get a product in, sell it, then get more product in and sell that sort of all about the numbers. Whereas when um, Downey's collectibles purchased the ante, they're definitely a different industry. They're in collectible coins, banknotes, but they know collectors and how they think and I think it's a better fit for the ante. But at the time, uh, or a couple of years before, HDL had sort of made a few noises about um, buying us and bringing us back in. But um, that didn't eventuate. But yeah, after Downey's purchased Bianchi, I think they made a phone call a couple of weeks later. And it just made sense that it is a very difficult industry, especially now, and it's harder now than it was then. That um, being the little guy was was quite tough. Um, we were doing okay. It was going well. It made sense to combine... What I had with my experience and knowledge and contacts and the agency brands that we had, and with Downey's, what they had with the expertise in the marketing and sales. Um, they had the expertise and probably a little bit less experience, or if I had experience, but not a, not a lot of um, the, the muscle behind. So it just made sense for both businesses to um, team up and for me to come home, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say it's a, it was a, a coming home of, of sorts. What's to those who wonder? What's your day to day role? What's your time taken up by in, in the role that you're in now? What's the the main element of your week? Um, mostly it's licensing approvals, monitoring production with China, and just making sure the um, schedule stuck to magic staff, license planning, marketing. The general high level type stuff. High, of the business. <laughs> high level. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dim, I know you've got a, a bunch of questions. What's what's question one on your list for Rich? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll come off the uh, out of the quiet corner now, and uh, just thanks, <laughs> thanks, Richard, for um, uh, joining us today. Um, it was nice for you to give up your time. Um, now you touched on it a little bit, but my. First question is, uh, the new owners of Bianchi and Apex, who you mentioned Downies, what was their sort of motivation to get into making model cars? Um, they were looking at building, obviously they've, they've got the collector base, but they had collector things with all the coins, and it's Ken's father's business, so Ken's been in the industry for a long, long time. And um, they're, just, they're looking at building more of a overall collector Type business, use the expertise they have by, with the coins, mm-hmm. but expand into other industries which similar thought process behind it, but different type of product. But just expanding into more of a uh, across different collector ranges. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
Apex have had the contract to produce Kelly Racing uh, Nissans in the past, uh, which you, you've been producing again. Yes. Uh, now, with Kelly Racing going to Ford Mustangs, will you be producing the 2020 cars? And um, if so, what sort of mould are we talking? Uh, yes. Yes, we will be. Um, we'll have an announcement out shortly. Obviously, with all the worldwide events that are going on at the moment, it's pushed us back in terms of deliveries with this year or last year's cars in, into this year's car. Uh, the original schedule had um, the first batch of 2019 cars arriving in February, but that was when all the factories closed down. So right now, we should have been delivering last year's Bathurst cars. Mm-hmm. So we're holding off on formal announcements just till we catch up, just to put the lead comes back and, and when we've got samples ready. But yes, we will have an announcement for the Kelly Mustangs in next couple of months okay. and okay. with that one we'll be going with Sidecast with full opening parts in the 18th. Okay. Excellent, great. See, Aaron, there's a scoop. Scoop. We like scoops. You like that? Yeah. yeah. Well done. Uh, you, you keep going with this journalist thing. This is going well. <laughs> Go another one and see what else you get out of him. All right. Well, I've probably only got one more, but uh, Rich, Auto Art have made uh, models for Bianchi. I think that's the way it works. Um yeah. So we've seen plenty of product over the years from Auto Art for Bianchi. Lately, we've sort of seen a bit of a slowdown. Uh, is there any sort of comments you can make about that? Um, it's just the general. China is a very evolving creature at the moment. Um, the last few years, especially with production capacity output, um, Auto Art aren't immune from that. Um, the many, many factories that I've dealt with over the years that simply aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. So auto art is evolving some processes and stuff. And, but most, all factories had to close down in um, before Chinese New Year. And they're only allowed to reopen four to six weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we've had a lot of delays across the board from all of our factories. Um, auto art are the same. I was working with them at the moment to clean up the production schedule. We um, there's a lot of cars, which I know is a major annoyance to collectors, which um, we agree with 100 percent that we've announced, but sometimes one or two years ago that still aren't here. Yeah, so we're just working with all of our suppliers, including Autolite, to catch up. So we probably won't be announcing too many new products in the next few months while we so clear the decks and catch up. Just keep the lead times back a bit. Yeah, to a reasonable level, but yeah, it's just a general changing situation with um with production capacity, shipping, um, QC control. It's yeah, it's a, most of my daily um, hours are taken up with that at the moment. Yeah. It's cool. a to- it's a topic by the sounds, Rich, that uh, you uh, have been more than immersed in in the last few months. Uh, probably even yeah. back a bit further beyond that. How have you found the reaction from collectors in terms of their understanding and their um, I guess feeling in regard to everyone wants everything tomorrow or they want it yesterday. Uh, there's models that have um, been announced, not just from Bianchi, but from a bunch of different uh, companies that haven't been done. They've all been delayed. Uh, have you found that there's a growing uh, sentiment from the collector of understanding the situation of how it is in terms of the world? Or, or are you finding that there's an increased level of, of frustration from people who've may have already been delayed and now they've got further delays? 
I think there's a level of justified frustration that you place an order and it's due in nine months' time and in nine months becomes 12 months. I think a lot of it comes from if people don't see that there's progress, then it's hard to know if there is any. But yeah, but it's, if people have placed an order and two years down the track, the model's still not here, they're, I think they're completely justified to be, um, to be unhappy with the delays. Um, and mostly, if we explain this is why, traction capacity, and it is very hard to explain just the difficulties that are being faced. Every manufacturer in the world, many jumps, Autolite, Spark, Sunrich, or PSM, it's, it's very unpredictable at the moment. But um, a lot of brands just change the way they do their announcing, and our plans really are to not announce until we're just about ready to go to production. So once we've cleared the backlog, we should be from announcement to delivery around the six-month period, which I think people will be able to appreciate and understand. Yeah, Yeah. it'll make everyone's lives... Uh, that uh, that little bit easier, I guess, as well. Yeah. Uh, Rich, we've got a long list of questions here. We better bail into them because uh, the fans of the Motor Focus Model podcast have gone bonkers in the last few weeks <laughs> with questions once we confirm that you'd be joining us. Uh, I'll start with one here, Dim. Be from- gentle. Uh, yeah, no, 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 we will, we will. Uh, Mick Ball asks, well, he started off in the, the right way possible, Dim. He says, love the podcast. Always a good way to get your question asked. Uh, his question, yeah. though, is... Uh, he's an avid 118-scale Bathurst collector, and he loves collecting cars that finished on the podium. Now, he says that the 1971 Bathurst race, of course, Alan Moffat won that in the factory uh, GDHO Falcon Phase 3. He said first, second, fourth, and fifth cars have been produced from that race, but the third-place car has not been. He'd like to fill the gap in his collection, and that was the Finney Ford um, GDHO Phase 3 of David Mackay. Uh, any chance of maybe seeing that one uh, down the track? Is there some tooling that it could be based on? What's the likelihood, maybe, Rich, of that one ever being produced? We definitely have the tooling. That's why we've done the other cars. It's, that tooling is with Ottawa, with, um, but it's hard now to mix. Like back in the day, a normal car, non-podium, um, midfield car was two, three thousand pieces. Like you'll remember these days, in when the Bathurst winner was was multiples of that. Mm, sure. Now, those level of cars without the big name driver like Moffat, Brock Johnson, Richard Perkins, that sort of level, um, it is hard to get to the minimal order quantities that we need to produce it. We would definitely love to produce it and complete the podium set. I think podiums at Bathurst, they're all they're all well worth worth producing, but it's just getting the minimum order quantities or reaching the minimum order quantities to allow production at a price that's achievable and palatable by collectors. But yeah, it's definitely on the list. We've got a list of all the podium cars at Bathurst which have been made, which have which haven't, which we've got tooling for, and yeah, definitely love to complete the set. But at the moment. Um, it's not on the, the schedule to be produced just due to the order quantities and pricing issues. I guess that goes back a bit to something that Dim and I spoke about on the last podcast, and that is the importance of pre-ordering. I mean, we've seen in recent times, and I know that you've had a scenario with a bunch of supercars that uh, you, you've had to, to can simply because the pre-order numbers weren't there. So we're moving more and more in a, a situation where if uh, collectors don't pre-order, 
simply the, there's every chance that a lot of these models won't get made because you need the indication of how many will be taken by your retailers and obviously by the customers and guys like Dim and Motor Focus to be able to then go and um, stump up to produce them. And if uh, we'll get more and more cancellations if um, if those pre-orders don't flow. So they're, they're a really important part. Yeah, it's one thing, one thing for us to say, but I guess it's another thing for our, our listeners to hear it from you. Yeah, definitely. Like we've, at the moment, we've got a situation where we just released the 2018 Nissan and uh, some owners, Harvey Norman car, we made 120. At the time, it was line ball whether it would get produced at all um, because I think we had maybe 70 orders, 70, 80 orders. And, but, but now it's the moment we haven't done the car yet. We've got to get it made, push it through. Um, now we've had that many calls from shops and we've got people wanting more. They, we need more and it's done. We can't, we can't get any more. So pre-ordering, pre-ordering, pre-ordering. It's so vital at the moment with the way things are. Shops um, need to know that the customers are going to be there when they um, get the stock in. It's very hard in the current climate for a shop to be too speculative. So if you want a car for your collection, find a retailer that looks after you and stick with them and pre-order and you shouldn't ever miss out on any product that you need. I know one. Dim, do you know one? Yep. I, I am aware of one. Yeah, all right. Uh, uh, wouldn't happen to yeah. be in Queensland, would they? <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. Uh, Motor Focus, you know where we are. Motorfocus.com.au if, if you don't know. Oh, well, you know now. Uh, another question yeah. uh, from Andrew. And, and, Dim, feel free to jump in with any follow-up questions or uh, extra bits to add from a, uh, from your point of view. But uh, Andrew asks, uh, why do the prices keep going up? He understands that the dollar makes a difference, but surely the factories can get more efficient at making models and quality control. Uh, his shop literally goes through every box to check the quality and says that there's still paint defects, panel alignment and other issues when... Uh, leaving the factory. So his question is, why the price rises and the quality doesn't seem to be to be staying uh, staying up with it? Um, yes, definitely. And as I said before, that's a big part of my day, getting out of the factory. The simplest way to explain it is there's not enough people in China. Um, there's traditionally factory workers would live in central China, travel south to the factories, work through the year, and head home at Chinese New Year. But now there's so much development in central China, the Dongguan area where most of the manufacturing happens um, doesn't have enough people. Um, when I first went up there in 04, at the time there was a shortage of a million workers for the area. So to encourage people to come down, the Chinese government has regular index um, pay increases for workers. And because the products are so handmade, like it's everything from injecting the casting from the machine to taping the box at the end, it's all done by hand. The labour costs are huge. And over the last few years, when I first started Apex Epicus, we the dollar was above parity. I think the highest we got was a dollar four against the US. But as the Aussie dollar was increasing, the price increases from China from the factories were also increasing, but it was being offset, so they were being hidden in terms of the retail price. And when a dollar came back to 70 odd cents, all those increases have um, have come home to roost. And by with the limited number of staff that the factories can, can get, we're trying to push them as 
economically as we can, but also understanding we need the quality of product that they're putting out. It's yeah, every manufacturer in the world has got at the moment with labour costs in China are going up, material costs in China are going up, um, freight costs are through the roof at the moment, and they're yeah. How do I say it? It's it's such a complicated situation trying to condense it down. It's got some getting the unit cost out of China is difficult for the order quantities that we're getting and with such varied range of products, I guess supercars, change delivery, roll it through, next product, but still the actual manufacturing process is so much done by hand, it just forces prices through the world. Um, every year when I go to Nuremberg for the toy fair, the question is, where's the next China? Can we find somewhere else to manufacture products to try and contain costs? Um, but that hasn't, no one's found one yet. Um, China's still the base where you can get the quality and the price that we need with shipping, transit, materials. Mm. It, it makes it very, very difficult at the moment. So, yeah, it's a bit of a rambling answer, but um, oh, it's no. hard to condense it down into There's such a, lot of, a, lot of moving a parts. clear, concise. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. A- Andrew also added to his question, so it's not a, a total smash-up fest. Um, oh, yeah. He says, on a far more positive note, uh, really enjoying the new VF Redline and HSV releases. Is there any chance of some cars like a VN uh, SS or a Brock Director? Potentially. Um, the Director has been on my list since the Apex day, way back. Um, but that one was always and will always be a resin option, mm-hmm. not the die car. But um, it's, if we've got tooling to modify it, so we've got the, the red lines, which also become modest auditions, which become GDSRs, um, that's a great, that's going extremely well. Collectors are really loving those. So, yeah, we're always looking at different options to bring out models to, yeah, just vary the range up. But at the moment, it's, um, the main focus moment is just clearing the decks and catching up on their previous options. Let's say we're not developing new product, which we definitely are, but we just won't be talking about it until we're actually ready to make sure we can get it out, get it into collectors' hands in in short periods. Yep, makes sense. Hey, Dim, uh, Matthew Davis's questions relating to the one forty third scale uh, Bathurst winners of the late nineties. Have you got some of those floating around? No, not really. Uh- because they were done so long ago, uh, and you know, classic collectibles produced a lot of them, you know, with uh, in the early stuff with you know black windows and not a lot of detail. So you know, Matthew's sort of asking the question, you know, is it possible for uh, the anti to produce some of those one forty third Bathurst winners in in sort of their brand in, in the years to come? Um, definitely, I think you will have some good news for collectors. Um, in within the next year or so, mm-hmm. uh, we've got the RVS, we've got the SEL, um, we've got a fair fair range of those tooling available to us. So yeah, I'm quite confident that we can satisfy those needs um, within the next year or so. All right, yep. we'll, we'll hold you to that one. Uh, per- yep. Perry's question: Can you please ask Richard when will Apex release? the Glenn Seaton EF uh, Ford Credit Falcon and the Alan Jones Pack Leader 
EF Falcon, both in one eighteenth scale? You sure that wasn't Alan Jones that asked that question? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I get calls regularly from Alan about that one. Um, they are last discussion got from the factory last week was they are due, I believe, to ship from the factory this week. Okay. Right. Finally coming. Finally coming. It yeah, has very been cool. A, I know it's been a, a long time waiting and there's plenty of Seton and AJ fans out there who love their mid-90s yeah. Falcons, so that's some good news. Yeah. Um, we've got some more questions, so let's see if we can get some more good news answers, Dim, rather than uh, bad news answers, because we like good. Um, mm. Bruce Hocking says, ah, oh, Bruce is uh, keyed onto this too, Dim, really enjoying the podcasts. Always yeah. a good way to get a question in if you give us a nice plug. Uh, his question is, any chance of getting the models produced by Bianti section on the website updated this was slash is a great source of information, but he says it hasn't hasn't been added to since 2014. You're going to have to get someone uh, on the job by the sound of it. Yeah, that we have looked at that before. Um, that was being updated while I was off playing in Apex land. Um, we're definitely going to look at some form of archive to list products that have released before, but at the moment we're looking. We're actually in the middle of rolling out the. Um, a brand new website uh-huh. for Bianti, so Apex Bianti will be combining with Downey's Collectibles. Yep. So that's taking all the focus at the moment, but yes, we've definitely spoken about an archive of previously released Bianti models. If we can include images, production quantities, data, that sort of stuff. Um, definitely on on the wish list. We've just got to find some time in the day to to get around to finishing it off. You know what? It's just given me an idea, and this is dangerous when this stuff happens. Uh, I reckon that our listeners hearing that question and answer would probably now think, and this is what I'm thinking, why not put it into a, a printed publication? <laughs> There's a book in it. There's, There's a book, certainly a book in it. A book. Book. Look at you go. <laughs> I was thinking modelsleuth.com for that year. Well, I, I only have to do uh, 118th of the work to uh, yeah. uh, to go through the details. But uh, it, maybe that's a yeah. scenario to unfold for not just Bianti, but for other model companies as well. Um, maybe doing a, a book that covers the models of a certain brand or the, the Bathurst winning models or the whatever it is, um, maybe that's a scenario for, from a Bianti point of view, of a, for want of a better term, a Bianti back catalogue printed book or a soft cover uh, book or a hard cover, whatever it is, with imagery of the models, imagery of the real cars, uh, quantities of, of how many were made, what year were they released, what are they like on the second-hand market, what are the, the rare ones, what are the not-so-rare ones. Would there be any legs in that maybe? Just asking for a friend, of course. Oh, potentially, yeah. You know, uh, tracks way back in the day used to have a ring binder you send an update and click your extra pages in after your models were released. Um, and John, who used to work with me at the Anti, he put together a CD archive yeah. many years ago. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, definitely. Because a, a big part of collecting is not just what, what's out today, it's what was out last year, a year before, to fill holes in the collection and build it up. But the thrill of the chase, mm. down new, new models for your collection. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, all right. Something that we can put in our list uh, combined to discuss in the future. Uh, Alistair Smith asks a two-part qu- question. Uh, first part, what's the update on the 1969 Sandown 3-hour winning Alan Moffat John French HO Falcon, uh, which is the 118th scale version? Is it still being made, and when will it be released? And 
The second part of the question is, he's keen to know, are there any more Sandown winners planned in the future, more so on the Ford side from the 70s and 80s? Um, the XY is on the schedule with Ottawa. I think it's about four four in on the current list of um, planned production. So it shouldn't be too far off, but I can't don't have a date at this moment. We've got to do a little work on that with Ottawa. And Sandown winners, definitely. Um, Bathurst winners, Classics have just announced the last um, escort, which means every Bathurst winner has been produced at some point in 118th car. Oh, the 65 so, uh, Barry Seaton, Midge Bosworth, Cortina GD500. Yeah. Yep, which we, we covered yep. on the last pod, yeah. Yes, yep. So that one's going to fill the last hole. The collectors can have every Bathurst winner. And the next endurer in the country is Sandown. So uh, definitely. If we can fill some holes in the Sandown Winners Collection, the Sandown Podium Collection, then for sure we'll be we'll be looking at what options we have with the tooling we've got to fill those up. Sounds good. Uh, Robbie McGregor, uh, regular listener, any plans to make Garth Tander's HSV Dealer Team 2005 Tasmania winner? Now, uh, we should point out, remember when uh, the team that had been Kmart Racing became the HSV Dealer Team when they rolled out early in 05, the cars were virtual replicas of the Holden Racing Team's livery with a, a bit of black in place of a bit of red. They looked very similar uh, from a distance. And later in the year for the endurance races onwards, they did a, a refresh design of the HSV cars. And they looked uh, they looked sensational from the Sandown. They did, and they uh, black and red. Yeah, yep. they, they really looked the part. And I think... Um, uh, Rick or Garth may have taken pole at the Sandown. I think it was Garth took pole at the Sandown 500. And then they got momentum up and they had a great run and, and Garth won the round in Tassie. So from my memory, I, I, I remember that the regular season car was probably made uh, that livery, but I don't remember the other livery. So any chance we might see that one at some point? At the moment, no. It's with the evolution of even the tooling, right from VP to VX to VY to VZ, um, some tooling was modified at Ottawa, which meant we can't go back. Um, plus, we've got the order quantity issue to to reach the Ottawa. Some of the Ottawa order quantities are quite high. Mm-hmm. So, if we can group production together with a few other models, then that makes it viable. But if the tooling has been modified along to the VS line, the VZ line, sorry, um, then it probably makes that one. Uh, very difficult to produce. Well, by looks great. Could, yeah, yeah, could yeah. be a very good model for the for the Code Three boys. Yes, yes. But even on the the early season cars for the HSV dealer team, they were so similar that the factory thought they were the same car. So <laughs> if anyone's got those models, look in the back the um, the back of the cabin, you'll see HRT sponsor list, Oval, and a few others. Because the factory thought they're all the same car because they look so similar. Yeah. And they wow. put HRT sponsors um, decals inside the HSV dealer team cars. Ah, one to look out for. And uh, I can yeah. hear people going to their cabinets as we speak, yeah. uh, wheeling <laughs> out the, uh, the 05 HSV dealer team cars and having a look inside yeah. them. Because uh, that by that stage, that was the VZ Commodore by 2005, and that was the last iteration of oh, that, yeah. uh, that floor pan yep. before the VE came along. So if the tooling was tuned and tweaked oh. all the way down the line, that would be the end of the line, though, with VZ. So yeah, I'm trying to give yeah. a bit of hope to, to Robbie and anybody else because I'd like to see that model car. Oh, I'd love to. So. Back at the time, I, I'm trying to think back to why we didn't do it then. 
And I think it was just because it was the end of the year and we needed to, we're already looking at next year's stuff. Mm. So, yeah, but I remember saying, having that chat with Trev, we could do that one too. But, mm. it, um, yeah, we never got through to it. So we need to get all the listeners who love their VZ Commodores, who have certain liveries or years that uh, they want made, to uh, all put their cash down, all jump in and get on board, <laughs> and we can get three or four different VZs done at the same time. Sound like a plan? Have a crack. Sounds good. Yeah, cool. Uh, John asks, uh, love the podcast. Good job, John. Uh, we love doing it. Uh, when are you making, Rich, the 2004 VZ Holden Crewman in mica blue? That's very specific. <laughs> I know this, John. Yeah. We all know Mr. Handchart. Yes. No, he had his chance. I told him what he needed to do. <laughs> but no, that's something that we, we won't be able to do at the moment with tooling costs and stuff. But Good, good try, John. Uh, well done. He, he does have a second question. Uh, could we ever yep. see the Brock Repco Round Australia reliability trial winner from 1979 in 118th, the VB Commodore that uh, last I saw it was sitting at the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst? Um, yes, very, very strong chance on that one. It's on very high on the list of items that we we want to um, jump onto. Okay. Very much so. Okay. Uh, Carl Phillips' question. Uh, he asks, any plans to make the Commodore Sport wagons, preferably the VESSV Redline Black, or is there a particular reason why not? In a nice way, he says. Um, wagons, it's hard. I said, like, we've got the sedan for the VF, which does all through the Holden and HSV ranges. Wagons, to get the level of Quantity, order quantities, and different types of versions make it very prohibitive to do at this stage. So, so at the moment, we do get a lot of questions asking for them, but at the moment, it's not on the list of new toolings that we want were, to invest. Were there uh, HSV versions of the sports wagons? There was Club Sport. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yep. Uh, that's a pretty cool model. Track. Track. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, at the moment, with what we've got going, yeah. It's not something we jump on straight away. Yeah, I guess something to come back to. Yeah, yeah. and the other the other element would be that from a racing perspective, remember the days of the twelve hour when it was a production car race and Holden ran the sport wagon. Uh, Firstly, as a yeah, as a Jack Daniels car that ran out of brakes the first year, and then uh, I think it was more a HSV R eight Tourer in uh, the way it was presented and homologated and entered uh, and the paperwork was done uh, in the following years. So um, sorry to Carl. In terms of wagons, I uh, don't really have any good news for him. Uh, maybe there's some news here that you can give Bradley Sharp. He wants to know about the future, Rich, of the Bianti Brock and Johnson collections. He says it's been slow lately on any new releases. Some new year model releases are needed, so many of the same cars with just different liveries are being produced. Uh, he doesn't want to be dead before these collections are complete. Uh, I don't think it's possible to ever complete a Brock and Johnson collection, given those two guys over the years have driven so many cars. Uh, what's in the pipeline? Anything in the pipeline for those who are keen Brock and Johnson collectors? Uh, definitely. Yeah, we've got the big hitters for both of them have pretty much been done. Um, the good thing for Johnson collectors, once we get catch up with the Seaton and the, jo- the Jones pack leader, Yes, get that sorted. There's a big lineup of potentials in the EF EL line for DJR and even for DJR in general, not just Johnson, the driver, Bowie's championship winner. There's a number of very good cars we can get out of that. Then, but for the rest, 
unfortunately they're they're not racing anymore, so the new cars don't get out of the collection. So I've still got to pick through the history of each driver to see which which ones we had next. What about um, a, what yeah? About a, what about a Dick Johnson Holden dealer team one off XU one Tirana? That would be good. Uh, yeah. That would be very good. Uh, uh. Yep. Yeah, we've had questions requests for the RX7 SP Triple M. Ah, uh, yes, the, tw- the twelve hour winner from ninety five. Twelve hour winner. Yes. Yep. So yeah, that was and John. There's still a number of Sierras that we can do. There's still a number of EFEL, but probably similar or definitely similar in the case with Brock. All the Marlborough era cars look very similar. Mm. So that affects people collecting with all the quantities and, and adding to their collection. But no, there's definitely, those lists definitely aren't exhausted. And um, we've got fair archives of a list of models of potentials for each of them, which we can um, feed through the system as we progress. Just got to get that funnel. Uh that you've currently got yeah. it blocked up that's uh, a bit busy yeah. to open up a little bit for, for stuff in the future. Pipe, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now, yeah. I know, Rich, you're a massive collector when it comes to Le Mans 24-hour winning model cars. Yes. Uh, Jamie Jordan's got the question. This is our last one uh, from our listeners. He said, a little while ago, you said they were going to make 118th scale XJR9 silk-cut Jags from the 88 Le Mans 24-hour, which, of course, includes... Uh, Larry Perkins raced that weekend, finished fourth with Kevin Cogan and Derek Daly off the top of my head in the number 22 car. He says, how far away will these be and will there be a Perkins version? At the moment, it's hard to predict how far. Um, a lot of what we do is work with our suppliers, Spark, Minifamp, CSM, to produce cars, products with Australian content from their tooling. And the XJR9 was announced by TSM a few years ago in Nuremberg. And Diecast on your parts looks fantastic looking model. And the second I saw it, I said to my contacts over there that we need a Perkins version. So as soon as the tooling is finished and they're ready for production, um, we'll definitely be jumping on that and seeing what we can do to bring out some Australian content with international flair. Uh, we like it. a bit of flair, a bit of flavour. That's the go. Uh, yep. Dim, I mentioned that that was the last of our questions from... Uh, our listeners on the Motor Focus model yeah. podcast, but uh, are there are a couple of other late questions that have been added. To yeah, you? yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of anonymous questions here. Um, so, anonymous from Mitchum in Victoria wants to know if the Fast and Furious cars will come with a Paul Walker figurine. Overrated movie. Sorry, Un- unpopular comment. But yes, yeah, I'll say hello to anonymous. And okay, yes. Yeah. The, the, the other anonymous. Question I have here is uh, from uh, a customer in Perth wants to know: Will you be releasing an AU Falcon wagon? No, 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 definitely no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's what's wrong and, with what's wrong with the AU? I mean, I get why you won't make the 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 Commodore Sport wagon that you mentioned before, but the AU Falcon wagon's a classic, is it not? We could do a gold John Goss service cover. Ah, oh, there you go. Well, get the order form out. Yes. yes. Now, these um, anonymous people also want to know who is your favourite co-worker? <laughs> I don't play favourite. They're all <laughs> my favourite. They're all my favourite. Oh, oh well. Spoken yeah. like well a, answered. Yes, yeah, spoken <laughs> like a true professional. Well done. Well done. Uh, you've survived the gauntlet, Richard Paul. It's been fantastic to have you join us on 
the Motor Focus pod, uh, Model Podcast. I'm sure we'll have more questions in the future to uh, convince you to come back on for another chat in upcoming yeah, episodes. But, uh, uh, great for some of the insight of what's going on with, with Bianti in terms of what's coming. We've had a few... Uh, a few of our punters probably had their questions answered that uh, have got good news. Some of them have got bad news, but that is the nature of things and it's a very different world we live in now and uh, making everything for everyone will uh, certainly never be possible. So, uh, again, Rich, thanks very much for taking some time to, to join us. Dim, uh, well done. Good journalism from you, my friend. You got some good answers there. Well, I'm just trying to add another thing to the boat, you know, and you, you taught me well. <laughs> but, you know... Big thank you to Richard uh, for coming on and um, being our first guest and, and answering all those tough questions. So, so thanks, mate. No problem. Thanks guys for having me. Gents, it's been great. That is the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Don't forget to visit the website, motorfocus.com.au. Join the Collectors Club now to make sure you grab your discount as well. Dim, we will chat again in a fortnight's time. For everyone else, though, uh, make sure you follow Motor Focus on Facebook. Get your questions in for our upcoming uh, Q&A segments on the pod and we'll also bring back the secondhand market uh, segment in future editions. So if you've got a particular theme or topic that you'd like explored, by all means get in touch with us via the Motor Focus website or Facebook page. But until next time, that's the Motor Focus Model Podcast. We'll see you next time with Episode 5. See you soon.